the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello, I'm Tiffany McTaggart. And I'm George Gawley. Welcome along to the Animal Health and Welfare series of podcasts, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. During 2021, we'll be bringing you eight podcasts. We want to provide you an insight into latest strategies which are being both developed and implemented with the ultimate aim of improving the welfare of our livestock. Over the course of the next year, we'll be disseminating topics such as precision livestock farming, genetics, behaviour, disease and resistance and how these challenges can be overcome to allow us to meet the challenges of the future. talking to Dr Gemma Miller and Dr Jenna Bowen, both of whom are postdoctoral scientists in the Beef and Sheep Research Centre at SRUC. Gemma is involved in a range of projects, including looking at greenhouse gas outputs for ruminants and precision livestock farming. Jenna's work includes predicting disease in calves, which includes monitoring, feeding and movement. Hello, Gemma. Hi. Can you start by telling us a bit about the greenhouse gas emissions produced by livestock? Yes, obviously the the main concern with livestock is methane emissions. Um, Methane is a natural product that uh, cattle produce um, when they're ruminating. Um, And cattle are really amazing because they uh, can take plant material that humans can't consume um, and turn it into human edible food through production of body mass, but a byproduct of that is methane production. Uh, methane is quite a potent greenhouse gas. Um, it's 24 times more potent than carbon dioxide, so it is a real issue um, for for livestock production. Um, but also, uh, I think one, one thing that kind of gets less media attention is the nitrous oxide emissions that are also um, associated with livestock production um, you know, that, and that comes from managing feces and bedding um, and yeah so nitrous oxide is also really it, it's an even worse greenhouse gas is about uh, 300 times more potent than CO2 so it's a real issue as well and one that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Very interesting. I hadn't realised about nitrous oxide. Um, So what work are you doing to try and reduce some of these emissions? Um, Yeah, so as part of my job, I also manage SRUC's green cow facility, which is, we have six respiration chambers and it's where we can put cattle or sheep in there and measure the the methane that they're producing. Um, So, yeah, we, we look at lots of different ways of either measuring that to quantify it um, because if we're looking at reducing methane we need a good measure of how much we're actually producing um, so we know any interventions that we put in place are having some effect we, we need to be able to measure that accurately um, so some of the work that we're doing there at the moment is around feed additives and um, so manipulating the diet and um, 
the microbial community in the rumen um, to uh, reduce emissions through that way. So we've done some work um, recently using um, essential oils. Um, this work's been a bit variable. We've done two separate trials. Um, one has one found a good reduction in um, dairy bred cattle. Then we did another one, which had a small effect, but um, on beef finishing animals, so Anguses and Limousins. Um, yeah, so those two different groups seem to have had um, different results. And that, that's quite typical of uh, feed it, um, essential oils. When you look in the literature, the results have been very variable. Another big piece of work that's coming along is around seaweed, feeding seaweed to livestock. Um, there is some evidence that particularly red um, species of seaweed can reduce um, methane emissions. Uh, so this is quite a big area of research around the world. There have been some trials, but there's not any clear evidence at the moment. So we're, we're doing quite a large trial this year um, where we're going to be feeding seaweed to um, 70 finishing beef animals to see if we can get any reduction in methane emissions, but also any improvement in production efficiency as well. Very interesting. So, so far, have you found anything that is reducing methane emissions from what a traditional, typical farmer would do or not? Yeah, so um, just changing the composition of the diet can have an effect. So we've found that increasing the, the concentrate in the ration and, or the lipid content can reduce methane emissions quite substantially. So you can see we have 30% reduction in methane just by changing the diet away from forage and towards concentrates. Obviously, there's clear issues with that. And we live in, we're in Scotland here. If there's one crop we're really good at producing, it's grass. Um, so we're taking this uh, crop that we can produce huge amounts of and replacing it with something that's more expensive to feed. Um, and yeah, it, we're, we maybe will be taking um, cereals out of human consumption there as well. One thing that could offset that slightly is using byproducts from the distilling in industry. So things like brewers grains, um, using more of that sort of waste product and to uh, put that back into the food chain. You know, and a, and a typical for a typical farmer, that's something that is quite simple to do without changing much in their uh, management practices. Um, yeah, also it, it does introduce a bit more cost. Yeah. So a, a lot of cattle production and sheep production, obviously, in Scotland is extensive. So uh, we have a lot of low pro productivity land um, that in Scotland that is of little use for anything other than grazing. So um, if we weren't producing livestock, although you know they have drawbacks in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, we would actually be reducing our food production quite significantly because that land can't be used for any other type of food production. Um, and there are other benefits to grazing extensively. So um, if it's managed in the right way, actually grazing cattle and sheep um, can increase biodiversity, um, can increase soil carbon um, content, uh, which is obviously a greenhouse gas mitigation factor as well. Um, yeah, so there are lots of benefits to um, continuing to produce red meat in Scotland. Um, 
And we have to balance that against the greenhouse gas emissions. So it can't always just be about greenhouse gas emissions. You have to offset all the other benefits that um, producing life, livestock has as well. Definitely sounds like a balancing act then. Yeah. You know, it, a lot of the time people get very focused on climate change, but you can't look at it in isolation. Um, you need to look at it in the wider system and how it interacts with other things in the environment. Yeah. Very good. So let's move on to precision livestock farming and developing technologies for monitoring individual animal productivity, health and welfare. Could you tell us a bit more about this work? Yeah, so this is a project that I'm working on that Carl Ann Duffy is leading. Um, it's following on from a pre previous project where we were looking at using 3D imaging to um, predict things like live weight, um, carcass composition, uh, so fat and conformation grades, um, carcass weight and meat yield. So um, in the previous trial, we developed a, or we, we collect, uh, created a, a database of animals um, on farm um, and animals just prior to slaughter. So we went to the abattoir, we got lots of 3D images of animals just before they were slaughtered. And we used that to build algorithms to predict um, all of those sort of characteristics. The current project is taking this technology further. So um, we find there were lots of gaps in the data that we were getting. So we're getting a lot of the animals hitting, you know, the target uh, carcass um, composition, but we weren't really getting those ones that are further off the center of the grid. So like the lean animals and the really fat animals. Um, but to build robust algorithms, we really need to get those as well. So what we're now doing is building up an even bigger database that's capturing a wider variety of animals. Um, cattle are surprisingly variable in their shape. Um, and of course, with their gut fill, they change shape a lot during the day as well. So we need to capture all this variation so we can make really robust algorithms that can accurately predict carcass value. Um, and this is important because, uh, I don't know, something like 45% of cattle landing in the abattoir aren't hitting target grades. Um, and that, that, that's a big problem because uh, the farmer's losing money and the target market isn't getting the product that they want at the other end. So by being able to, um, you know, the, the get a good idea of an individual animal's a carcass value on farm if it's not performing very well and it's not looking like it's going to hit that target the farmer might want to send it off early because it's not going to grow any further um, or if it's getting overly finished the farmer can catch on to that quickly and put it off before it gets overly fat um, yeah so there's lots of benefits being able to live grade animals on the farm very good um, so if you're live grading the animals on the farm, is this going to be something that could potentially be done by farmers further down the line or is it going to be something that's quite difficult to do? Uh, no, I mean, the technology is really simple. It's a 3D camera. Um, at the moment, it's suspended above a, a, a weigh, an automated weigh crate. So every time the animal comes... Um, so the camera is currently suspended above automated weigh crates that have a water trough attached so every time the animal comes in for a drink we're recording its weight and we're getting a 3d image 
Ah, so, very easy then. Yeah, the farmer doesn't really need to do anything. It's all automated. Um, and yes, and the, the images are just sent up to a cloud-based system with some um, clever code that extracts all these measurements that we use in the algorithms. Yeah, so it's very hands-off and passive. Yeah, that's, that sounds yeah. very good. Um, yeah, so yeah. when you've been doing all this research, have you been finding that there's certain breeds of cows that are more likely to hit their targets or is it just a complete range? Yeah, it's really variable. Um, and there's so many different factors that affect it um, from previous health breakthrough to um, the current management system. There's so many things that can impact Um and the good thing about this system is that because it's looking at individual animals and not as a, a pen a pen as a whole, it'll home the farmer in on particular animals that might need attention at a really early stage. So if you've got one particular animal that is underperforming, the system can flag that up and um, yeah, allow the farmer to intervene early to see if he can help that animal reach a, a, a more valuable target. That's very useful, very useful. Anything to make the animals finish better is always handy. Um, so have you noticed, we were talking before about the, the extensive systems and intensive systems for the methane emission, but has a, is there a noticeable difference between the different types of systems and the cows uh, fattening? It's like extensive systems, um, typically you would find cattle take longer to finish um, than when they're maybe inside being fed a more high uh, energy dense diet. Um, but as I said, there, there are benefits to extensive systems as well. Uh, so you might find your, your age to slaughter is a bit longer um, than in an intensive system, but you're putting a lot less money into a finishing that animal because you know it's basically just feeding itself on, on your grass yeah that's it sounds a really good idea doing this 3d imaging um, of the cattle yeah and the, the, the 3d cameras are getting cheaper um yeah I think. so yeah the technology is getting more affordable for farmers as well i think the ambition is to one day be able to just have the camera above a pen and it will be able to identify animals um, yeah, you know, without having to have one fixed station uh, where the animals have to come um, to be measured. That sounds that sounds very interesting. It'd be good to actually see farmers go and try and start looking at it from a from the animals being at an early age. Yeah, I'm sure plenty often just send them to slaughter and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think some farmers think they're quite good at grading by eye, but they're not really <laughs> yeah um, yeah so we're, we we do have these systems out on some commercial farms um just so we can gather lots and lots of data so we've got some farmers that are involved in the project um yeah just to trial that in a, in a more realistic setting than a research farm yeah um and at easter highgate we're, we have a phd student um holly nisbet who's going to be looking at sort of uh, following that process through from weaning to slaughter. So she'll be taking regular 3D images um, throughout an animal's life uh, to see um, 
how carcass development changes and what factors affect it. So that's a really interesting project as well. Yes, it sounds very interesting. Definitely. So on the commercial farms, have has this been going on for very long? And do you have, uh, are you finding that they're finding it easy to do and implement and it's making a difference to their systems? So we're at quite an early stage right now. Right. Um, so we've just really got the systems up and running on the farms um, and we're just starting to get data through. So it's, it's hard to say at the minute. So it's a nice watch this space for the future. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the crates, yeah. the automated way crates. Um, they're they're manufactured and sold by Ritchie Agricultural. Um, and they, I mean they're they're commercially available already, and they're they're really good systems. Um, seem to work quite well, and they're building up some momentum, um, in the industry as well. So yeah, they're they're becoming more popular. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, they just take a lot of the labour out of having to weigh animals or, you know, some farmers don't even have handling facilities to weigh animals. So this is, you know, something they can do while improving the animal's welfare as well, because you're not having to put them through that stress of um, being put through a race or a crush. Yeah, yep. Um, anything that makes their life easier as well, because if it's easy, by the sounds of it, it's very easy just for them to do. So is there any other projects that you've been working on recently or maybe finished recently? Um, oh, what else do we have going on? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's centering around methane at the minute. We've got, uh, we're just starting a project with DEFRA at the moment which is really a desk-based exercise, but it's reviewing um, feed additives that uh, we think are going to come onto the market that might reduce methane emissions and looking at uh, the evidence for their efficacy, how good they are, um, and what difference we think this might really make in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So we'll be doing some um, um, marginal abatement type work to see you know uh, what the input costs of um, maybe requiring farmers to do this are versus the the environmental benefits that we get from them um yeah yeah so that's something that you know the scottish government have been quite interested in recently as well as you know, um the uk in, ge in general because i think um regulation of methane emissions is going to come at some point um, and yeah. farmers are going to be required to reduce uh, their greenhouse gases quite substantially. Yeah, I think they definitely will have to. So when you're looking at um, the new feed analysis, I'm guessing they have to go through a very rigorous testing process to be able to make claims that they've reduced emissions. Yeah, so um, I don't know how this is going to change after Brexit, but currently they go through EFSA, which is a European um, food standards agency, uh, where you know some might already be um, validated as you know some sort of sensory additive to feeds, but to make claims about methane, they do have to go quite through quite a rigorous process and have a base of evidence to show that you know that that those reductions are real. Um, there's not many that have fully gone through that process at the moment, um, but we are aware of a few that are in the pipeline. 
Well, hope, hopefully they'll come up with some good options for farmers because anything to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, there's this kind of difficulty as well with feed additives so that you have two sort of separate categories or the natural, nice kind of plant-based ones and then there are the chemicals. And Right. Um, arguably the chemicals may be better than the plant-based ones because they'll be more effective, but how acceptable they will be to consumers is a an issue that no one has really tackled yet. So if they're using chemical ones, is those chemicals likely to end up in the meat then? Um, yeah, I mean, this is a question that needs to be answered. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know the answer myself, to be honest. No, that's fair enough. They probably have lots of research to do just to check everything before they go to market. Um, no, that's very interesting. Um, thank you. Thank you, Gemma. That has been very interesting and informative. Next, we'll move on and hear from Dr. Jenna Bowen and hear about predicting disease in calves. Hello, Jenna. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, so do you want to start by telling us a bit about your work um, looking at diseases in calves? Yeah, sure. So um, within the um, cattle industry, there's a really big issue with bovine respiratory disease, or BRD. So this costs um, about £60 million annually um, in terms of, say, ill health and things of the like. So we've been doing some work as part of an HDB-funded project that's looking to um, early predict uh, disease, so say BRD in calves. So um, this was done down on our um, dairy research centre in the calf facility down at Crichton. Um, and doing this, then um, we monitored 100 calves. Um, and what we did on those calves was monitored their feeding behaviour through um, use of automatic milk feeders and also fitted them with an accelerometer. So this is very similar to, say, a Fitbit you might find. So it's, it's a really good way of thinking of it, that you can monitor activity constantly. Um, so what we found is there's differences when you pair calves, say, pair a healthy calf with a diseased calf. You're able to see differences in things like lying time, um, total visits to the feeder, or the total time they spend feeding. So I guess similar to if you or I feel a little bit under the weather, you know, have a bit of a cold or something, we tend to spend a lot more time, say, lying down, spend, you know, wanting to spend a lot more time in bed, don't want to kind of move around as much. And we see very similar behaviours in the calves. Um, so we're able to see this on, say, the peak day disease, but equally the days running up to disease. So one of the things we thought was we can clearly see the differences. So can we create some sort of prediction model that based on this feeding and activity behavior that we're able to predict disease early. So we've created two different models. So one of them is based purely on the lion time. Um, and then the second one is based on a combination of feeding behaviors and um, the lion time. So kind of coupling them together. Um, and when we look at that, we're able to predict disease um, up to two days before kind of um, Sorry, two days before the kind of peak day of or the start of the disease, which, you know, as you can imagine, be really useful um, to be kind of implemented on, say, commercial units where, um, say, on a commercial rearer, where lots of calves come from lots of origin farms. You don't really know what their disease status is from the origin farm. 
and mixing of those calves can obviously cause a lot more disease. So if we're able to pick up this disease early, it could be really beneficial. That sounds very interesting. Thank you. Um, so if you're thinking that it's going to be able to go onto farms, how are farmers going to then be able to use the models that you're creating at the minute? Um, so that wasn't actually um, part of the project to kind of um, implement them commercially, but it's certainly an option that I don't think there's many systems out there at present that um, do actually combine, say, feeding and activity data to predict disease. So I think it's certainly kind of an option going forward. And I think, you know, quite a lot of these rural units have um, automatic milk feeders anyway. So that kind of data is kind of available um, kind of automatically, I guess, because, you know, every kind of visit that they make to the machine, um, that's all kind of recorded automatically. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so just even looking at what their feeding behaviour is, if they've already got the information, people can put that to more for use yeah yeah that's exactly it so i guess that's one of the good things with these um you've also been doing work on digestion and cattle and looking at feed efficiency can you tell us a bit more about that yeah that's correct so um we've been doing some um, work with university of strathclyde and affy milk um or silent herdsman which then became kind of affy milk um and we've been using um, those kind of collars that are typically used to predict estrus. So it's very similar technology in that it's got a, just an accelerometer that kind of sits around the neck. Um, but that's typically used for estrus detection. But we've been interested in can we use that as a solution to predict feed intake. So feed efficiency is really important in that, um, you know, you want to kind of get the, more, the most output from the least amount of input. Um, so typically when you're recording feed efficiency in a, um, in a kind of research situation, you'd, you'd have kind of individual bins where animals come in and records every single visit to that bin. Now that sort of data is brilliant to calculate feed efficiency, but the problem is that it's obviously not accessible for commercial farmers and it can be really quite expensive. So we've been looking at different kind of alternatives to that. So, for example, can you use a neck-mounted accelerometer like those um, afimil collars um, to be able to predict disease? Sorry, to be able to predict intake. Um, so what we've done at Easter Howgate, we've got 60 feed intake bins. So, as I said, these are able to record feed on, say, the individual animal level. So we've used that to predict um, or attempt to predict feed intake based on activities um, that you'd be able to monitor from um, from these collars. So, for example, things like the total number of feeds, um, total number of visits to the feeder, or you know the total number of time spent feeding and things of the like. So we created a few different um, prediction models with that, um, including both the feeding behavior, say the age of the animal, because that has a big influence on as animals get older, they eat kind of a lot more. Um, and then the weight of the animal, obviously the same then, the bigger the animal, the more they kind of eat. Um, so we found kind of moderate um, accuracy with those prediction models. Um, but I think it's at the moment, at least it's in kind of very early stages, I guess, but it's, at the moment it's too kind of low for, for kind of practical use, but it certainly kind of works as kind of ongoing, I guess. 
yeah, that sounds very interesting. It'll be interesting to hear what your findings are once the research is further on. You've also been doing some work with Scotty ID. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, compulsory tagging of cattle is going to be coming into force in some point in the near future. I think that with kind of Brexit and COVID and things the like, it's been kind of pushed back a little bit. But we've been working with Scotty ID on how you can use um, the UHF tags or the ultra high frequency tags um, in transportation of cattle. So um, it's likely that Scotland will be going down the tagging of cattle using UHF tags. So at the moment, sheep are tagged using um, LF or low-frequency tags, whereas cattle will be going down the kind of ultra-high-frequency or UHF route. So there's lots of advantages of using um, UHF over the more traditional um, LF kind of um, tags. And this can include the read range. The read range, sorry, is a lot longer. So you can read up to seven meters with um, the UHF, whereas it can only be maybe about half a meter with the LF. You can also read multiple tags at once, which is a big benefit of the system. Um, and also, the system is um, a lot cheaper as well. Um, and you're also able to write different kind of information to the tag itself. So, you know, there's a potential to say, include things like passport information, um, medical records, you know, BVD status, all of that kind of side of things as well. But um, we've been doing some work with Scotty ID looking at transportation. And part of that was um, retrofitting a livestock float. So um, at the beef unit, we got a brand new livestock float that was completely kitted out with um, UHF kit. So all the different kind of um, panel readers and antennas were mounted completely into the um, lorry itself, completely integrated. And then we monitored um, cattle from Easter Howgate, so from the beef unit to the abattoir, and also monitored um, just loadings on and off to test different orientations of the antenna. Um, and we found that regardless of the orientation, we had 100% read rate. So even though, you know, you might be running on, we use 16 cattle in this, even though you might be running on 16 cattle, those UHF tags, each one of those are able to be read. Whereas, you know, if you imagine, say, the sheep system with the LF, it would have to be kind of one at a time that these are being read. So later on in the study, we also um, incorporated GPS into the livestock box and all of the kit. So if you imagine, you could have... Um, a timestamp to know that the animal is say on the lorry and you could equally also have a gps location so you know where the lorry is and equally what animal is on there so that's really good in terms of traceability and improving traceability so we've been doing um this little bit of work currently and we did a, a similar bit of work about two three years ago with them as well that was um using the beef monitor crate so the beef monitor crate is essentially a water trough with the weigh scale sat behind. So every time an animal goes in to take a drink, it, um, it records a weight. So on that beef monitor system, much like all of the other kind of different technologies for PLF, um, they run on the LF, so the low frequency system. So we did some work with them of retrofitting a UHF um, reader onto that um, beef monitor crate. So we were able to directly compare the number of reads from the LF to the UHF 
and we, we were seeing that the UHF was pretty much 100% um, read rate, whereas the LF was about 97, 98%. So we can see that there's much higher kind of read rates in this um, UHF technology as well. That's very interesting. Thank you. It does sound like there's going to be big improvements in traceability in the future um, if they're getting 100% read rates um, when they're tra traveling animals. Yeah, yeah, I think there's great potential um, for this kind of going forward. So, Yep, definitely. Um, so is there any other projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to talk about? Um, so we're doing a little bit of... <clears throat> Excuse me, we're doing a little bit of work between um, the beef centre and the dairy centre that is modelling the effects of PLF use on um, greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, for example, you could be using a um, PLF solution to um, detect health, um, ill health early, for example. So we know that when animals are you know, showing signs of ill health, they're not performing as they should be. So they have much lower kind of productivity. And we're modeling if you can use different technological solutions um, to pick up that disease early, what impact does that have on um, greenhouse gas emissions and intensity? So we're using um, the AgriCalc um, modeling, um, sorry, the AgriCalc um, system to model the kind of emissions intensities. Emissions intensities. Um, separately for both the dairy and the beef systems um, and just modeling the effects of different kind of technologies, including things for, um, say, growth and intake, um, health and fertility and things of the like. Hopefully we can see that, you know, if you use technology X, it can improve emissions intensities by Y percent or, you know, something like that. So that's another thing that we're working on at the minute. That sounds very interesting. No, that's been brilliant. Thank you, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Is, is there anything else that you're wanting to talk about? Um, so we're working on another HDB-funded project, and it's between SIUC and AFBI, so based in Northern Ireland, and um, CL, so the Centre of Innovation and Excellence in Livestock, are also um, involved in this project. So... What we're doing as part of this project is updating the beef nutritional models. So it's been about 30 years, say, since the last update was actually made to these models. So as you can guess, animals and the genetics have kind of moved on. The way animals are fed have kind of advanced in those last kind of 30 years as well. So we're using um, historic data collected from SAUC at the beef unit and also historic data from AFBI to update these models. So these will include things like intake, um, growth and carcass confirmation, um, um, protein requirements and things that are like. And one of the other sections that we're working on, which is the bit that I'm kind of involved in, is using on-farm data alongside the nutritional models. So this could be, for example, using um, PLF technologies, obsession livestock farming technologies. Um, obviously not all kind of farms have access to that. So, you know, it could also be um, using historic growth rates from that particular farm. So we see that there's really big variation between animals in efficiency. So that, you know, in terms of intake and growth. Um, so you can see it, even if animals are managed on exactly the same diet, um, at exactly the same time, there's 
around about a 20-25% difference in dry matter intake between, say, the most and least efficient. So these models obviously don't pick up that kind of really big between animal variation. So that's what we're seeing. Are we able to use on-farm data to make, say, nutritional models more um, accurate for that one particular farm, say? So it's more of a what if for, you know, or how could we potentially do it using um, that part of the um, project, but the other parts will be actually modeling. So, for example, updating the growth um, curves and updating the intake equations and things, things of the like. That sounds very interesting. Um, yes, it's surprising how quickly time moves on and you realize that you need to update to stay current. Um, and make it much easier for doing feed rations and things like that, won't it? That's it, yeah. I think one of the really good things about this project is that it's very heavily um, industry-focused. So, for example, we've got um, members from SAC, um, so say like Mary Young is involved in it from obviously the beef side of things. And we've got various um, feed companies as well involved throughout the UK. So, you know, it is very industry-driven and they're given input all throughout the different kind of points of it so very good very exciting that then perfect that's been brilliant thank you jenna thank you to all the researchers who are taking their time to participate in this eight-part series providing an interesting insight into their research and findings thank you for taking the time to listen we hope you have enjoyed it you can find out about all the other podcasts in the series on the Farm Advisory Service website or from your usual podcast provider, along with many other podcasts available on a whole range of topics. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we are doing by visiting our website on www.fas.scot or if you need advice, please call the helpline on 0300 3230 161.